Uh, Lord, that I have given you my heart to this. And uh, Lord, you have weighed so much on me, uh, Lord, and shown me so much. And Lord, I just pray, 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 God, please, would you help me to relay what it is that you want said, not what it's anything that I have. God, my desire is that you would take over this service and that your spirit would guide and direct not only my words, not only my tongue, but the ears of the receivers, that we would get what it is that we need so that we can apply it to our lives. God, there is a challenging world out there. And Lord, you expect for us to be more, to be better. And I pray that you'd help us to be receptive to what you have for us. Lord, would you use today for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Joshua chapter 13. Man, y'all going to be dry mouth. I'm all nervous. <laughs> Here we go. All right. <clears throat> all right. Joshua 13, verses 29 through 33. It says, And Moses gave inheritance unto the half-tribe of Manasseh. And this was the possession of the half-tribe of the children of Manasseh by their families. And their coast was from Mahanaim, all Bashan, all the kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jair, which is in Bashan, three score cities, and half Gilead and Ashtaroth and Edri, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan, were pertaining unto the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, even to that one half of the children of the children of Machir by their families. These are the countries which Moses did distribute for an inheritance in the plains of Moab on the other side, Jordan, by Jericho eastward. Remember our old messages we've been talking about, the issue with being eastward. That's not God's will. But unto the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not, an, not any inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said unto them. So right off the bat, we see that exact same phrase again. It says, and Moses gave, ensuring us that there is absolutely no question that this territory that is outside of what God gave them is not his will. So then who is Manasseh? Who is this guy Manasseh? I'm glad you asked me because that's all this message is about. Um, uh, the record of his birth, first time he shows up is in, is in uh, Genesis chapter 41 verses 50 through 52. And it says, and unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, be, uh, priest of On, bear unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said, He hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so we see that Manasseh is the firstborn son of Joseph and his Egyptian wife, and her name is Asenath. And what's very interesting about this, the fact that this marriage, um, there's something really cool here. Now, understand, Joseph is what we call a picture or a type of Christ. There are only two in the Bible that actually show up as perfect pictures of Christ. It's Daniel and it's Joseph. What that means is there's no area where they fail God in their lives. We see them as a perfect, perfect picture. So we notice here uh, that there's, uh, um, I already said that, um, Joseph, okay. <laughs> Joseph married an Egyptian bride, okay? Now, what's interesting about this? Remember, Joseph is a Hebrew. He is marrying an Egyptian woman. She is a Gentile, okay? So here we have a perfect picture of Christ marrying a Gentile who just happens to come out of Egypt. And we know Egypt is a picture of the world, okay? So notice there's a picture developing before our eyes. 
And so Joseph's bride came out of the world and was espoused to her husband, who just happens to be a perfect picture of Christ. And that marriage points to Christ and the church, okay? And this is beautiful. You see, when the Lord saved our souls, Gentiles, by the way, who came out of the world, by the way, and espoused us unto himself as his bride, and see, some people go, and they go, oh, well, that's a supposition. You're just kind of, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're putting together some stuff that maybe doesn't necessarily go together. You're creating a picture. No. God defines this for us. He tells us this is what he's doing. Listen, when we get to chapter number five of the book of Ephesians, what you'll find is that thing, boy, it's going to lay out a whole lot of details about what it is to be a husband and a wife. What's a marriage supposed to look like? Then he gives the specific roles of what a husband and a wife are to do in order to be successful. And then he ends it up with this in verses 31 and 32. But this, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. He's going, here is marriage. Everything I just talked about, it's all about marriage. And here he goes, verse 32. This is a great mystery. Hey, guess what? Throughout all the Bible, when you see a marriage, there's something I'm pointing to. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says, so when you see that marriage, what you really see... Is me and the church. Amen. What you see in Joseph, a perfect picture of me. And his wife is, guess what you see? A beautiful picture of Christ and the church. And so Joseph and his Egyptian bride, Lydia, are prophetically pointing to the relationship we're to have with God. Gentiles taken out of the world by the loving hand of our Savior. And what's the intention of that union? That they would bring forth sons and daughters of God. Right now, physically, we're going to have children, maybe in our in our marriage. But ultimately, what really God's talking about is saying, hey, this is a picture of the spiritual. You're supposed to be creating spiritual sons and daughters. Why is discipleship important in our church? Because that's what it is. It's about developing people, sons and daughters of God who can make a difference for the glory of God. And so we see this picture. Now, as a side note, interestingly enough, as we look at this, the sons and daughters, and this brings us to, uh, to the sons of Manasseh, and it brings us to Ephraim. But what's interesting is the fact that, guess what? Those two boys, those two boys are not Hebrew boys. They're Samaritan boys. They are half-breeds. They're half-Jew, and they're half-Gentile. Now, in the Jewish culture in the first century, guess what? If you were a Samaritan, they called them dogs. They wouldn't walk on the same side of the street. That's why the, the Samaritan, the, the Good Samaritan story is so incredibly powerful because he would have somebody who was downtrodden by society, yet he did the right thing. So the Samaritans were, down, were downplayed or they were looked down upon. And here's a picture of Jesus who has sons who are Samaritans. Listen to the heart of God for the Samaritan. Go to John 4. You find a Samaritan woman who's at a well in the middle of the day because guess what? She's being judged because of the awful life that she lives. People don't go there in the middle of the day, but she's there. And God redeems her. And then he redeems most of that city. And guess what? They're all Samaritans. That's just a side note. I just thought that was cool. (sighs) But further reinforcing the godly picture of this marriage. Take note that there is no mention of concubines in this marriage. This is a faithful marriage between a husband and a wife. Joseph pictures the faithfulness of God. Sorry. And if we're to consider our relationship with our Heavenly Father, 
We see his faithfulness image for us in, in Joseph. But man, what about our faithfulness to our spiritual husband as a church, as individuals? Does the world have our hearts or does our Lord have our hearts? See, every day, our choices, the way we live our lives every day, answer that question loud and clear for us. We don't have to question. I can look at what gets my time, what gets my heart, what gets my attention. That's who I love. And if it's the world, man, we're unfaithful to God. James 4, 4 says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not. This is, he's asking this question. Paul's, or James is saying this. He said, look, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Do you not realize that? Do you not see it? Can you not open your eyes and recognize the fact that you have a relationship with this world? And to me, it's unfaithfulness. You're cheating on me. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Man, there are Christians all over this world that are enemies of God. People that are saved, but they are not Christians. A Christian means to be Christ-like. And that's what he's calling us to be. We can see that Joseph was faithful to his bride, establishing a godly heritage for his boys, Manasseh and Ephraim. And now in Genesis chapter 48, what we're going to see is Joshua's actually, or Joseph's going to bring Manasseh and Ephraim, his boys. He's going to bring them to their grandfather, Jacob. And Jacob is going to bless these boys. But what's interesting about this blessing is we're going to see that Joseph, or actually Jacob is going to take these two boys. And he's going to, though they are Joseph's sons, he's going to take them as his sons. Okay, notice what happens in verse number 48, 48 verse 5. He says this, And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. He says, just like my firstborn two boys, Reuben and Simeon, I'm going to take your boys as if they're my boys. And what this translates to is that there is not going to be a tribe of Joseph. Okay, Joseph is going to turn into two tribes. There'll be Ephraim. And Manasseh. And then Jacob brings his blessing. All right, I got a little chunk of reading to you. Hold on one sec. Y'all are making me so nervous today. I don't want to think I'm going to throw up. Whew. I'm not going to throw up. I'm just like, I feel like it. All right, here we go. Genesis 48, verse 10. It says, Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and kissed he them, and embraced them. Verse 13, he says, And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, before uh, towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands. Notice that word, it's in there, wittingly. That means he's making a conscious choice. He knows what he's doing. For Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, what happens is the right hand is supposed to go on the firstborn. He's supposed to get the birthright, okay? But he's got it switched. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my father Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which led me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and let my name be on them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, oh boy, it pleased him, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son. I know it. 
He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God, make thee as a Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Fun fact, Joshua is from the tribe of Ephraim. So in Manasseh, his blessing that's supposed to be his goes to Ephraim. Now, what's interesting is if you'll remember, this is not the first time this has happened in the Bible. Now, if you think back to when Rebecca was pregnant, she had Esau and Jacob. And I can imagine what this pregnancy must have been like. It must have been brutal because it says, uh, Genesis 25, 23, the Lord says this. He said, the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people which shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger and the other people and the elder shall serve the younger. And we go, well, okay, interesting. God is honoring the second birth over the first. Anybody get that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So God is telegraphing a biblical picture for us to understand. And when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in John 3, what does he do with it? He sits down with him and he says, you must be born again. First born of the water and then born of the spirit. So he's saying, hey, listen, dude, your first birth ain't going to cut it, Nicodemus. You're in trouble. But if you'll get that second birth, that spiritual birth, well, that one will be honored. That one will be blessed by God into all eternity. God honors and blesses the second birth, picturing the flesh in the first. And I want you to hold on to that picture. Hold on to it because we're going to circle back. It's going to mean something in a bit. So then Manasseh and Ephraim would each have two sons. Because of the subject of today, I'm not going to get into, uh, into Ephraim's sons. We're just going to cover Manasseh's. If you want to read those, make a note. It's First Chronicles chapter 7. You can read the entire genealogy. It is fascinating. And verse 31 is in our, in our text. It tells us this. It gives us the name of one of Manasseh's sons. It says here, verse number 31 of our chapter, of chapter 13 of Joshua, were pertaining unto the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, even to the one half of the children of Machir by their families. Okay, so what this does is this identifies for us that the half-tribe of Manasseh that chose the, uh, the ungodly inheritance was in fact Machir. Now, Machir is the first born son of, of Manasseh. So meaning that the descendants of Manasseh's son Machir chose the wilderness. Now, that means that there was another son who chose the godly inheritance. He chose Canaan. This would have been the older son. I'm glad you asked about him. He's also here, 1 Chronicles 7, 14. The sons of Manasseh, Ashriel, whom she bare, but his concubine, the Emeritus, Emeritus, bare Machir, the father of Gilead. As you study, you realize that actually his first child came by way of the concubine. So Ashriel is the second born, and he is that, uh, the one we're not going to talk about, his kids or that. But understand, Ashriel was that child who is going to be the one that will actually choose the promised land. So what we do know, it's interesting, is it doesn't even give his mom's name. There's no mention of her whatsoever. But God's very specific. Notice what he says here. But his concubine, the Aramitess, bear Machir, the father of Gilead. So the only thing we know about her is that she is a concubine. She is not a part of God's plan for marriage. We see here a shift. Manasseh has fallen prey to the, the sin of the day. 
which is to go outside of your wife and have a concubine. Another child born of a concubine. Now, last one, we had Gad. But guess what? Before that, we had Ishmael. And so we see a pattern that's taking place, more reaping and sowing from Abraham and Sarah's bad choices, ungodly sowing. And so sadly, on so many levels, there are families here today, people that can attest to the damage that can be done from sinful choices made in the past of our families that literally the consequences are still being delivered to us even now, generations later. You and I must be conscious of this. Listen, we cannot afford to live in the moment. It's very easy to make choices that are simple. It's very easy to make choices that are emotional. It's very easy to make choices that are selfish. We can do in the moment what feels right, while in our own hearts we know it's wrong. We know we shouldn't respond that way, but yet we do it because we just we let ourselves do it. Galatians 6-7 says, be not deceived. That's the most powerful thing. Be not deceived. Don't fool yourself. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Yet there are people in the world today who literally claim to love God, who do horrible things, say horrible things, impact the family, the people that they love, people they're supposed to care for, and they do these things because of the fact that, listen, they're caught up in the moment. And they'll get frustrated and angry and they'll say and do things that they shouldn't. And this happens all the time. And you know what part of my job is? Helping families. And I hear what's done and said. And it breaks my heart. I cry for you guys that are going through it. I don't want you to. But see, in those moments of passion, people lash out. They say and do what they do. And then they tell themselves things like this. I was mad. You know, I was just, I was mad. They deserved it. You know, if they had not failed me, I wouldn't have to do what I did. They set me up. It's not even my fault. And we'll tell ourselves things like this. We'll make excuses. But can I just tell you this? That if we're living this way, if we're making these choices... And we do not believe and understand that there are awful repercussions coming to our families and the people that we love or the places that we work and these things take place. It's coming. Destruction is heading our way. And yet we foolishly believe that it's not because we don't believe God's word. What does it say in Galatians 6-7? Be not deceived. Do not fool yourself. God is not mocked. There's nothing you're going to slip past him. For whatsoever man soweth, that, the word shall means promise. That shall be, shall he also reap. Man, this is a fact of the human existence. This is just the way the world functions. It's the way God designed it. There are no exceptions. So we need to ask ourselves, honestly, search our own hearts and ask ourselves, what am I sowing? What am I sowing in my family? What am I sowing at my work? Kids, what am, I, what am I sowing in my school? What am I sowing into my children? What am I sowing into my marriage? What am I sowing into my relationship with my parents? 
What am I sowing into my community, into my church? The promise is clear. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. That means, hey, plant love, patience, forgiveness, kindness. Expect the same in return. Praise the Lord. But hey, plant anger, hatred, bitterness, envy, frustration, unforgiveness. Plant those things and be prepared for an onslaught. And what happens is because we don't only experience it the same day, we tend to disconnect what it is that we've done from a repercussion that will come later on. And see, sowing and reaping is a dangerous thing because what we do in our own minds is we'll do something, say something, and we forget that we said and did it. We let ourselves off the hook. And then when the result comes later on, we're just, where'd that come out of left field? God, why didn't you protect me? What in the world? Look at this mess. This isn't my fault. Right? And see, sowing works that way. You sow. Months later, you reap. You don't reap the same day. And so what it's saying is, hey, be careful the way we live, the choices that we make. Listen, if we want to invest in others, boy, what a great opportunity we have every day to pour the good into this world. Because you know what? We have to counteract the bad. This place is wicked. This place is filled with hatred and anger. And so listen, the reason why we're studying these foolish delusional tribes that willfully chose to defy God while masking it all in their own form of godliness because they said, hey, listen, we're going to go fight with you guys. <laughs> we're going to be right there with you guys. We're going to, yeah, we're going the whole way. But when we're done, we're going back over the river, <laughs> just so you know. Right? They mask it in a, something that looks godly, but they make an ungodly choice. Why is it important for us to know this? Because they picture us. Remember 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Now these things were our examples to the intent. We should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. This First Corinthians verse is referencing the Old Testament saying, hey, listen, their story is given to you as a warning. It's showing you yourself. So what we're studying today is the terrible choice of a group of people that will ultimately end up hurting their families. Not because they want their families to suffer. Not at all. It's because they're thinking of themselves in the moment. They're living in the moment and they're doing what felt right, even though in their hearts they knew it was wrong. They knew it was wrong. Now, how did Machir's descendants choose the wilderness. Well, maybe Machir was the firstborn, right? He was the firstborn. He heard the stories maybe from Manasseh. Maybe he heard the story about how, he, guess what? I, 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 was, I was skipped over. I didn't get what I should have gotten. I was deprived. I don't know if that conversation took place, but maybe it did. Maybe this planted a seed of bitterness that was passed down through the generations. We don't really know. But also, interestingly enough, if we look back, remember Numbers 32 when we were looking at what was going on there, and we saw the whole layout where they were making the decision to choose that ungodly inheritance, they, the, 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 the two and a half, the half tribe of Manasseh, they did not show up. Literally, like 30-some verses, it was just Reuben and Gad, Reuben and Gad, Reuben and Gad, Reuben and Gad, and at the last minute, the, son of Manasseh, the half tribe of Manasseh shows up. As if at the last minute, they were like, you know what, we want to be in on that on that deal. At the last minute, we want to reject what God has for us and receive this ungodly inheritance. This means that the tribe of Manasseh was unified up until this moment. So the children of Ashir and the children of Machir had lived as one family, serving together, working together. 
This is until the opportunity for personal gain caught the eye of Machir's descendants. And the result is a divided family. A divided family. Now, how do things like this happen? Let's consider their history. If we begin with Joseph, we saw that he was an honorable man. A man that loved God. That honored God. And though he didn't understand or even agree with the way that the blessing went, you know what we find out? He honored his father. He honored his father's decision. And can I tell you, there are going to be plenty of times in our lives as Christians that our father is going to allow things to come into our lives that we will not agree with. There will be plenty of things that we're going to deal with that are difficult, that are hard. But God knows we need them. And what happens, we see the picture with Joseph, is he trusts his dad's discernment, though he didn't agree with it. And that's the thing you and I have to come to as well, to say, you know what, I'm willing to trust you, Lord. I don't like where I'm at, but you know what, I'm going to trust you. And what he didn't know, right, he had no idea that Jacob was being used in that moment to send a message to us thousands and thousands of years later. But see, he just trusted. Blessing of the second birth was being displayed. Joseph had a godly marriage. He did things right. But then we come to Manasseh. Manasseh, the firstborn, who might have felt slighted or cheated because he felt he deserved more. He won't have a godly marriage like his dad. Again, remember, he fell prey to the sin of the day and had a concubine. Sowing into his children ungodliness. And this Understand, this is only one generation away from Joseph. And what typically happens, if you know how things function um, sort of in Christian life, a lot of times you'll see the first generation mom and dad. They were raised in the world. They were a mess. They were involved in everything and anything. Boy, oh boy, were they broken. And God saves them. Oh, man, does he save them. And he turns their life around. And, oh, my soul, is there a change? Boom, man, they're in. I mean, they're in so deep, they're... It's over their head, man. They're in. They love the Lord. And they're going to give him their all. And then they have kids. And those kids don't go through what their parents went through. So they don't necessarily understand what they missed out on. And now they don't have necessarily their own faith, but they have their parents' faith. I kind of believe in God because my mom and dad do. You know, what's it like to be, yeah, yeah I, know the, I know the stories about the hard times. Yeah, 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 whatever, mom and dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys are real heathens. Okay, right, 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 sure. <laughs> right? And so what happens, it never really takes root. And unless God brings tragedy into their life, unfortunately, they don't get that grip. And you know what will happen to the next generation? They'll be even further away. It just happens that way. It's sad. Just imagine this situation. This is... Generation after generation after generation. So we see this. Things slipping. Then we come to Machir. Machir is the firstborn, right? The picture of the flesh. The son of the concubine, born out of God's will. And it will be his descendants that will divide this family. Do you see the impact that ungodly decisions can make on a family? Oh, my soul. Bleeding from one generation into the next and spilling over into the one to come. Sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. It always, always is always true. And I ask you again, what are you sowing? Every day we're sowing. 
Every conversation, we're sowing. Every interaction, we're sowing. What do we want to plant into the lives of the people we care about? This is so important. You see, this ungodly inheritance was chosen by the two and a half tribes because of an undercurrent of discontentment. Remember, they had heard the promise of God from their youth. The land flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flowing milk and honey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd heard it. They knew all the stories. And yet when it came time, they were willing to forego it without ever even seeing it. They gave up their birthright before they ever saw the land. They reject what God had for them. And not only was Manasseh divided, but recognize the tribe was supposed to function as one big family, the children of Israel. But because of this selfish choice, two and a half of the tribes are going to set themselves with a border right between them, which just happens to be the Jordan River, which is the physical barrier that God created and put right between what he considered to be godly and ungodly. Interesting where they chose to be. Between what, I just read that, sorry. (laughs) I told y'all it'll make me nervous. I'm going to take a breath, take a breath. Everybody's good? Here we go. All right. All right. Now, what this division made me think about was the prodigal son. Okay? And what's happened, if you're not familiar, most of us are familiar with the story of the prodigal son, even if you're saved, or even if you're lost, you pretty much know this. Um, But what this is, it's a picture of a father, a father who had an inheritance prepared for his sons, right? He had a plan. For them, He had a whole intention for them. He'd been saving and planning and working towards giving them something that was special just for them. But you see, because of discontentment, one of the sons would say, you know what? I know all that you've done, Dad. I know all your plans. I know how great it's going to be and how wonderful it's supposed to be around here. But you know what? I just, it just ain't, I'm just not feeling fulfilled. You know what I'm saying? There's got to be something. I heard some music over the hill, and I was like, yeah, man, thumping that beat. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how about if I get my money now, and I'm going to go off and do it my way? I'm going to do that, because what you have for me, though I know it's good, it's not good enough. Isn't that what he's saying? Yeah. Not good enough. You see, he wanted an ungodly. Inheritance. And we know the story. He goes off and lives a riotous life. And he gets used and abused. And he finds himself in a pigsty, about to eat pig, pig food. And then he's like, oh, man. You remember back, back at our house? Wow. Man, uh, the, the place was peaceful. And there was food and family and friendship and relationships. Man, boy, I wish I could have that again. Isn't it amazing? How our blessings are only valuable to us when they're gone. Ain't that something? Ain't that terrible, isn't it? We don't appreciate the things we have until we don't have them anymore. And then suddenly, we're like, wow. Man, that was awesome. That was awesome. I don't appreciate my right arm. I don't wake up every day and go, man, thank you for this arm. God, it is great. It works so good. Man, I can un- look at this. Fingers work, everything works. But if you chop my arm off today, 
I guarantee you tomorrow I'd be going, man, that was a good arm. Man, that was the best arm ever. I love that arm. Man, I wish I had that arm back. Golly. And every day, what would I think about? I'd reach out there and go, man, that arm, boy, I'd do anything to get that arm back. But when I have it, it's just an arm. Who cares? Doesn't that stink? It's the way we are. It's, it's terrible, but this is the reality. And so what happens, he comes to a point in time where he says, listen, you know what? I'm willing to divide our family. I'm willing to break up. I'm willing to break my father's heart and divide this family because they're short-sighted, selfish desires. And I can tell you how many families today are divided because of selfish, short-term thinking. Discontentment is selfishness. It is selfishness. And listen, you'll never, ever understand it's, it's never more evident in our, than in our culture today where people are discontented. Everybody's looking for more. Nothing is good enough. Your phone, as soon as you get it, man, another phone comes out immediately. You're like, I wish I had a different phone. You get a brand new car, and within months, wish I had a new car. You get a house, wish I had a new you get a, You get a wife, wish I had a new That's not true. Never, that's not true for me. <laughs> not in my case. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> But the point is this, people are discontented by nature. And so we see here is he's willing to give up so much to get what it is that he wants. He doesn't care about how it impacts anybody else. And it's this discontentedness that is that is taking a hold of our country like you cannot believe. Spend time around young people, teenagers, and listen to the things they talk about, what's important to them. God has been removed from their life, and the God of this world has replaced it with nothing but garbage. It's destructive, and it's hollow, and it's empty. And just like that prodigal son, it will leave them broken and in a pigsty one day. And they'll look back and go, wow, what did I miss, miss out on? Because you know what people think right now with everything they have, their home, their children, their marriage, whatever it is, not good enough. <clears throat> not good enough. And then they're driven by their discontentment to find, to find, to try to seek fulfillment outside of God's will, believing that there is, they're, they're going to discover contentment only to find themselves broken, only to find themselves hopeless. People that so many times, guess what, are coming here to, to be restored. Because you know what they need? They need the Lord. You know what broken people need? They need to be restored. You know what people that feel unloved do us? They need the love of God. We're all born with a God-shaped void, and it's a heart. And the only thing that fills it is the love of God. And if you don't have a relationship with him, man, you are so wanting. And no matter how hard you try, you'll never fill it with anything because there's only one source. This story, sadly, is repeated in Scripture of discontentment. And it is repeated countless times through human history. We can see it in our own lives. We can see it in our family. We can see it in our children. Now the question is, will we learn from the lessons of the past? Or will we just keep repeating them? You know what Paul said? Paul lived a very unusual and interesting life. But as Paul was kind of wrapping things up and as he was dealing with a lot of adversities, this is something amazing that he says in Philippians 4.11. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned through a very hard road. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, no matter what's going on, good or bad, wherewith 
to be content. He says, man, on my good days, I'm content. On my bad days, I'm content. Right? The opposite of discontentment is thankfulness. People who, are in, who have no gratitude are never satisfied. You ever do something for somebody and they don't even say thank you? How does that make you feel? Don't you love that? You walk away and go, man, I love that person. <laughs> I cannot wait to do something else for them and have them not say thank you again. <laughs> this is going to be great. It stinks, doesn't it? Yeah, ingratitude's a terrible thing. Imagine how God feels. All that he blesses us with. Ungrateful. And we wake up in the morning going, God, this is wrong. And this is wrong, and this is wrong, and I need you to fix this, and why is this going on, what's this going on, and this is going on, and why do you hate me? Right? We make our own mess. We're wallowing in the mud, a place where we got out the hose, we, we took the hose, we made the, we made the mud pile, and they fall, fall into it. We go, God, why'd you put that there? God says, no, I have something so much more for you. I have something for you that's beautiful. And gratitude is going to be the gateway to give you what you need, right? When he talks about coming to him, when we go to Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5, boy, these are verses I'd love for you to memorize. This is in reference to going into the temple, okay? This would have been Solomon's temple. But remember that the tabernacle, it's a picture of how we come to God. It has an outer court. It has an inner that inner, uh, the, the holy place. And then it has the holy of holies. The holy of holies is where the, the presence of God rested. That's the ultimate intimacy with God. The holy place, boy, you're, you're clean. You're walking with God when you're there. The outer court, man, you got some issues. You're still struggling with some sins in your life. But the whole thing is you got to get from the outside just into the court. And you come in by way of the gate. And that's why it says this in Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, right? For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. So then again, we go back. What are we sowing into the next generation? Are we sowing goodness? Are we sowing mercy? Are we sowing the goodness of God? The righteousness of God? Thankfulness or discontentment, which one are we sowing? Listen, one is going to reap incredible benefits, a godly inheritance. The other is going to reap destruction. Maybe not today, but it will bring destruction. And listen, so if we hear this and we go, okay, <laughs> well, you've kind of been describing my life, the destruction thing. It's just the way I've been living. It's the choices that I've made. I have made a mess of things. Hey, listen, if that's you, if you say that's where I am today, I have made a mess of things or I am currently making a mess of things, it is not too late. It is not too late. You can change your story. You can change who you are. Not through your own strength, not through your own will, but through surrendering to the power of God. Recognize the fact that, listen, it's all about gratitude. Again, we only appreciate what we have when it's gone. And if the things we were complaining about right now, for so many of us, the very things we're complaining about, if they were suddenly gone tomorrow, 
we would hurt so bad at the fact that we never valued what we had. What are we sowing? Remember, the prodigal son, guess what? He was the second born. And it says, my son who once was lost has now been found. Right? The one that celebrated the second son. God has a purpose for our lives that's so much greater than us if we can just get out of our own way. And we must be careful what we're sowing, what we're pouring into the lives of the people that we're supposed to be administering to or caring for. Because we're all influencing somebody. They're all, we all have somebody watching us. Everybody. Your coworker sitting beside you at the desk next door who you never think twice about is watching your life. And guess what you could do? You could sow the goodness of God into their life and receive the same in return. It's a promise. God, in this moment, recognize as children of God, just like the prodigal's father, our father, has the same heart. It says that he sees his son coming and he's waiting with his arms wide open to receive him. To bring him in. To hug him. To restore him. To redeem him. And guess what? Give him a godly inheritance that he can now pass on to someone else. See, that's what this is all about. We're all making our stories. We're all passing on to the next generation. If it's physically through our children or if it's spiritually through the people in our lives, we're all passing something down. And see, what's so interesting is how this closes out. Because if you think back to the one message we had before these three, it was called a godly inheritance. And it was about the Levites, the tribe of the Levites. And guess what they are? They're priests. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter that you and I are supposed to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, right? That's who we're supposed to be. So if we looked at the ultimate of who it is we're supposed to be in Christ, we're supposed to be a picture of the Levites. And look what just happens to be the way this thing closes. But unto the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not an inheritance. Nothing in the world for them. No physical thing. Don't get your eyes here. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance. Hear that? That's who we're supposed to be. And he said, as he said unto them, like us, they were to set their affections on things above. They're to find their joy, their purpose, and their satisfaction in Christ, not in this world. Listen, a thankful heart is a contented heart. So when you find yourself discontented, Instead of wallowing in it, instead of feeding into it, what if you said, mm -mm -mm -mm. yes, my boss is a jerk. Yes, my job is hard. But you know what? I have a job. You know what? I have an opportunity. Where I'm at, this is a mission field. There are relationships right here that I'm missing 
that I'm supposed to be reaching, people I'm supposed to be ministering to. You've placed me here, God, for a specific purpose. My job isn't to make money here. My job is to build disciples here. My job is to let my life impact all these people who have this terrible boss who's a real jerk, and I don't like him, but you know what? I need to start praying for him, for God to bless him, for God to walk with him, for him to see Jesus in me. And I'm put in this adverse situation, but you know what? God's providing for my family through it, and I'm given an opportunity to do something great for God. It's all how we see it. We can complain about our life or we can be thankful for our life. We're given one shot on this earth. You will not come back. There is no option. So you do the best with what you're given. And some people go, man, I've messed up for 50 years. It's been a mess the whole way. Well, great. If God gives you five more years, what if you live those five years for the glory of God? And what if one day when you stand before him, you say, God, I'm sorry about those 50 But when I really got my head on straight, the last five, I gave it my all. And you know what he'll say to you? Fifty wasted years on five good? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. (laughs) I hope you're getting this. Philippians 4.11 For I have learned in whatsoever state I am wherewith to be content. After all that God's done for us, the least we can do is stop living for ourselves and live for Him. Content in Christ. That should be who we are. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for helping me. To impart what you wanted me to share. And uh, God, I pray that you'll take it and work in our lives. That we would evaluate the discontentment that many times has hold of us. Lord, help us to be thankful, to combat it. Help us to have eyes to see what you intend, what you desire, instead of selfishly what we desire. Thank you, God, for loving us, for providing for us. Thank you for giving us a church. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for giving these people an opportunity, all of us, to come into your place and hear your truth. Would you multiply it in our hearts? Would you use it for your glory? Would you help us to make a difference in the world around us? Help us to sow into those we have influence over that, Lord, they might be more glorifying to God as opposed to less. We are given opportunities in this life, and they're, they're fleeting. And God, our time on earth is growing short. Help us to take advantage of the moments we have. With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed, if you're here today, and you say, listen, Pastor, I, I heard you loud and clear. Uh... I'm one of those discontented people. Would you pray for me that God will get a hold of my heart and I'll become thankful? If that's you today, and I'm not going to call anybody out, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because I am going to pray specifically for you and I'm going to keep you in mind throughout the weeks. Amen. Anybody else? Say, look, that's me. I find myself being discontented, but I want to be more thankful. Amen. Lift them high. Lift them high. Amen. 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 And for those of you who are maybe today, you see, I don't know where I even stand with God. 21 years ago, I did not know Christ. 
21 years ago at 34 years old, someone asked me if I would die today, if I knew for sure I'd go to heaven. And I said, I hope so. That's a bad answer. Because the Bible says we can know. We can know. And so with that, I'm going to challenge you with the truth. The Lord died on the cross, paid the sins for the world, and he's given a gateway for every human being on this planet. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He offers salvation to the world, every single solitary one of us. And then it comes down to this. How do we receive the gift? It's as simple as believing, putting our faith in him. Now you may say, I believe in God. I can probably tell you that that's not good enough. Believing in God, The devil believes in God. He's not going to heaven. The demons tremble in the presence of God. They're not going to heaven. You may know the word of God. You may be religious, but you're not. You're not surrendered. There's a moment in time when our hearts are surrendered to Christ. He died on the cross with you in mind, and he's offering you salvation. But what you have to do is surrender to him and realize that he is the only way. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation, but Christ is willing to give it to you for free by faith. So if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you're watching this online, you're listening to it recorded, this does not take a a preacher. It doesn't take a, 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 there's no ceremony. There's no magic prayer involved. It's the heart of God calling out to you. And all you have to do is receive what he's calling you to. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Again, it's not the words that'll save you. It's the intention of your heart as he speaks to you and draws you. In your heart and mind, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sins. I believe that you died for me, that you love me, and that you're offering me a way to be restored through the cross. In the best way I know how, I surrender my will to you. In the best way I know how, I'm asking you to come into my heart. In the best way I know how, I'm asking you to save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me, for loving me in spite of myself. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, you were sincere with God, not just a ceremony, but you meant business, and you prayed and received Christ today, I want to pray for you specifically. I'm not going to call you out or point you out, but I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand real quick and put it right back down. I prayed that prayer today, and I meant business with God. Lift it up and just put it right back down, up and then down. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the gift of the word, for the gift of this time, for the gift of this people, and, Lord, their concentration and effort today. Thank you for using us, uh, Father, as ministers of the gospel. And, Lord, I pray that you'll help us as we go forward into this day, into this week, into this month. Lord, as instruments of love to this broken and hurting world. Thank you for each one. I pray that you'll guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen.